How do you leverage emotional intelligence to create the life, relationship, and business of your dreams? I've spent over a decade studying, speaking, and coaching on emotional intelligence. And in this podcast, I share the exact principles and strategies my clients have used to earn seven-figure incomes, heal their relationships, get engaged after years of failed relationships, and step into their authentic power to become the leaders they came here to be. Let's do this. Welcome to episode 203 of the Marcia Miyake Show and Happy New Year. Today, I'm going to be sharing 15 emotional intelligence tips to increase your income in the next 90 days. So we are almost a week into 2024. Like I cannot even believe it. I feel like I'm in like a wedding bubble right now because I'm a a month from being married and I feel like there's so much still to do, but I am trusting that you have set some quarterly goals for yourself and you've set or refreshed your life vision and that you're really excited about this year. Our energy is our currency. Our frequency is the thing that is most useful in this life experience. And so when people aren't excited about the new year, I'm like, to each their own. However, I'm really praying for that person that there's other times in the year where they do get excited, that this like low-level pessimism isn't their status quo because you just can't live an epic life if you're just not willing to get excited. The people that are the most successful that I personally know and that are truly fulfilled, they get excited. You know, I'm thinking of um, one of my mentors right now, like he gets excited about little things. Like, and you can even tell by his language, like when, if we're out to eat somewhere, it's wow, this is fantastic. Oh, look at that sunset. It's beautiful. Oh, that lady, she's gorgeous. It's like these words that are high frequency and he's radiating this positive energy. And I don't doubt for a second that that is one of the keys to his success. So if you're not excited about the new year, okay, fine. But can you get excited? Can we, can we, get that energy going? Can we think about a vision that is going to make us excited? Can we do that? Because you're worthy of it. Like you're worthy of this year being incredible. Are you willing to shift your energy? So I have been talking about the importance of emotional intelligence, my gosh, at least since 2014, whether emotional intelligence or traditional IQ is more important to success. And obviously there's a baseline intelligence that people need to get to a certain level of success. This was again solidified in um, a research, I believe it was in Sweden in early 2023. Yes, intelligence does play a role, but only up until about 57,000, which really isn't a lot of money per year. So suffice to say that intelligence is not going to be the main indicator of success. And there've been subsequent studies that talk about it's really your network. But what does network mean, right? It actually means or is related to your emotional intelligence. Because think about it, just because you got brought up in the right neighborhood or just because you went to university or you grew up with some really wealthy people, it doesn't mean that you 
genuinely have relationships with them and that they trust you and that they would want to do business with you. So proximity is important, but it's not everything. What are you going to do with that proximity? Yes, you can get into rooms. Yes, you can go and pay thousands of dollars to get into conferences. I did to get into the right rooms with people, but there were still people in those rooms that there people didn't want to be around. Why? Because they lacked the social awareness, which is a component component of emotional intelligence. Gosh, I'm struggling with my words today. Um, so I'm going to be patient with myself. So I'm hoping you're going to be patient with me as well. I'm recording this. It's nearly 10 p.m. But, you know, such is life and little children and you just have to do the do. So this is me showing up even though we're tired, we've had a long day, but we are going to push through. Okay. So if we know that proximity matters, you know, getting in the right rooms, all of that matters, you know, having a baseline intelligence, it matters. But what really sets people apart is their ability to learn these soft skills around emotional intelligence and really understand how to relate to people. Now, if you are someone that has a high level of emotional intelligence already, some of these you're going to be like, um, duh. And I want you to give yourself like an actual pat on your back because for some people, this is not a given. This is not a, oh, duh. This is like, Oh, really? I never really thought of it like that. Number one is understanding that first impressions matter. Okay. So we can do basic things to make a good first impression, like being early, coming prepared and looking the part, right? All of these things, these visual things that when you present yourself are so important. The way you present yourself is you're telling the world what you think of you. So how are you taking care of you? Because that's a visual projection to the world about what you think of you. So if you can't be bothered to do your hair or do your makeup, if you're a lady, you know, get your your clothes pressed or whatever, wear nice shoes, look clean, like well-presented, well-shaped, well-groomed. Like if you're not willing to do that for yourself, and especially if you're presenting it something important, you're saying already to the world, to the people that you are trying to build relationships with that you actually don't really respect yourself. And if you don't respect yourself, how am I going to expect that you're going to respect me? So first impressions really matter. Now, the being early, if you're not early, you're late. I love that. And of course, there's things that happen. You know, there's children, there's traffic. We want to mitigate those things as much as we can. We want to Think about, okay, well, if I need to be there at nine and there could be traffic, let me just leave earlier. And if you need to be there 15 minutes early, I love being the one that's there early and people are like, oh, I'm trying to find parking. Like I love not being in that anxious energy, right? Because I do feel anxious when I'm running late for the person and I also don't want them to think that I'm not respecting their time and any professional will take it like that. Like if you're habitually late, you are saying your time is not valuable. You are saying, I don't know how to manage my time. I eat, I'm not responsible. I'm not organized. I.e., can you trust me in business? 
Like that's just real talk. And these are the subtle things that people are picking up on, even on a subconscious level of how you're presenting. Okay. So making sure that you make an effort to come early, especially for like an interview, my gosh, like be early, make an entrance of being early, um, come so prepared and make sure that you are always looking the part. Now, this is so important. You can never be overdressed. Like when people would say to me, oh my gosh, where are you going? Like you're so dressed up. Some people will use that reason to be like, oh, I shouldn't dress up as much because they might take it as a job or something like that. But I don't. I would rather be overdressed than underdressed any day of the week. So I love the saying, you cannot be overdressed and you cannot be overeducated. I love being both all the time. Okay. Number two, be aware of your body language. Okay. This one is absolutely huge. So what's your chest like? What are your shoulders doing? Because there is so much in um, your body, in your presence, in your posture. And it's really funny because it's actually quite nuanced. So if your shoulders are curled in and you're hunched, that signifies low confidence. But then if you're like literally puffing your chest out and Dan and I have this joke, um, like when he comes back from the gym, like we have this joke where he's like puffing out his chest and we exaggerate it. So with your chest out forward like that, you just look... you look kind of like a bit of a douche, right? So there's the extreme. So there's like this fine line in the middle where it's like, ah, okay, I'm presenting confidence, not arrogance. I'm presenting strong, not like I'm coming at you, right? So it's understanding your body. That's part of emotional intelligence is like how you are presenting in your physical body right now. So ask yourself, do I present as a confident person? Do I present in my body as an expert in my field? What message is my body giving right now about myself, right? So when I go on lives and I do stories, I watch myself. Some of that is just practice because I'm like, okay, I didn't like the way that I moved my hands there. It didn't work. These are things that I am mindful of because it's important that I come across a certain way, especially if I'm presenting on a if I'm presenting on a stage especially. Like how do I want to be sitting? Like am I welcoming? Like what is my energy like? This is so important. Um, and I think what is it like 70% of communication is nonverbal, something like that. It's like some ridiculously high stat. Okay. Number three is show vulnerability, okay? When we are conversing, when we are uh, talking with people, we want to share our own personal insights and our stories. And vulnerability is what builds trust. And people do business with and hire people that they trust. Okay, so when people try to present like they have all the answers, when people try to present like they have no weaknesses, when they try to present like it, your brain automatically goes like this person's too good to be true. I'm not trusting now. Like there's something, what is this person hiding? Whereas if you share, um, and again, sharing vulnerably is a skill. So the, the, this sounds basic, but it's actually not because 
sometimes we can share from our wound. You know, I never recommend to any of my clients to go through something and then hop on their stories and talk about it from a wounded place. We need to process on our own and then share about it from a healed place. And is there wisdom that we can be presenting about what we've been through? We're not talking bad about someone. We're not like gossiping. We're not, it's like, hey, this is the experience that I went through. This is the lessons. This is how maybe it could apply to your life. That's very different than having low self-confidence. Low self-confidence would be things like, being unable to take a compliment. Like if you're in conversation with business and someone gives you a compliment, really receive that, right? We don't want to go, we don't want to believe that vulnerability is like the opposite and like we, we're not willing to take compliments and we have to deflect the compliment and we're almost speaking down at ourselves because we think that that's humility. That's not humility. Humility is understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are. It's understanding that, You're not the most important person in the world, but we have to understand there's a difference between humility and lack of confidence. And vulnerability is actually a big strength. So vulnerability is when we can share from a powerful place where I'm saying, I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to share with you. And it's not that I have confidence that you will accept me, but vulnerability and the strength behind vulnerability is, is like, I will be okay if you don't. That's true confidence. And only someone who is strong and courageous can truly be vulnerable. And vulnerable, again, is understanding what it actually means versus what it, what sometimes present, what sometimes people present to be vulnerable is going into victim mode. So understanding like, okay, what's a vulnerable way to say this? And, and am I in a place to be vulnerable? Am I healed enough from this to be vulnerable? Or is this still an open wound? If it's still an open wound, that's not when we want to share because then it can go into like oversharing and you know now we're projecting and we're presenting to someone who may not be in a position to be able to hold space for us in that moment. And we're basically like doing this energetic dump on someone and it's just, it could be too much. Okay, number four is demonstrate empathy. I mean, this is huge, obviously in sales, obviously in any type of business, any relationship. Business is just relationships. People partner and buy from people that they believe understands them. And to have real empathy and it not be a manipulation tactic, you have to have a level of emotional intelligence. You have to be truly connected and you have to be truly caring about the person that you are talking to to demonstrate real empathy. So it's how can you show in this interaction that you have empathy towards this person? Maybe it's in the way that you repeat back what you heard them say, right? Asking deep questions and then and then conversing with them in that way and being truly interested and showing genuine concern when they share something that feels heavy for them. This seems so basic, but very few people have the ability to demonstrate empathy and also strength. 
because it's not, it's, we're not going into sympathy. That's a very different vibration. I want to empathize with you. I don't want to sympathize for you. Sympathize is like, I feel bad for you. Like, oh my God, poor you. No way. I never want to project that on someone. I empathize with them. Like, I see you and what you are going through, and I'm with you through the challenge that you are in. Very different from sympathy. When we go into sympathy, we go into a wounded pattern, and this is how we can get into like a negative cycle of talking about someone and, and reliving a story over and over again. It's because we're in that sympathy cycle. So it's again, it sounds basic, oh, demonstrate empathy, but are you truly demonstrating empathy? And are you doing it from a place of strength where you can witness that person in their pain or in their challenge and not get caught up in it? And that's the distinction. Okay, number five, build your vocabulary. This one is huge. Okay, so I think my vocabulary and my writing skills are far superior to my spoken language. I have quite a bit to work on in terms of the way that I speak to be the level of speaker that I am working to be. For example, when I was working at Curtin University, I worked with an incredible writer who was a director in our uh, office, and she was an incredible writer. And one thing about writing is that, who was it that said the quote? It's not coming. Was it Shakespeare? Um, But it said, forgive my long letter, and this is not a direct quote. Um, paraphrasing here, but like, forgive my long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. And that's to say that when you're not a good communicator, you go on forever. Whereas if you're a good communicator, you can cut a lot of that stuff out. So through my crazy number of years in university, it was a big editing process, right? I did a thesis. I did two theses. And, um, a lot of it was a rough draft, editing, 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 cutting out, cutting out. And especially when I was writing reports for executives, I would write, no exaggeration, well, pardon, I would read a hundred page document. It would be a government document. And my boss would say, give it to me on one sheet. And It's like, how, how on earth? And I would have anxiety, no joke, the whole time I would write that because how can you give an exec summary on, like in one page? And I would always just submit it being like, I know there's going to be so much that I didn't address on that page. Like, how could I? This is a government white paper. So what that taught me though, was to say it so succinctly. And I remember me and one of the other managers, we would like be someone, one of us would be like hovering over the other one's computer and we'd be like, cut that out, cut that out. We'd we'd just be cutting stuff out. We'd be like, say it like this. And so my language became very precise and very to the point, very, because I needed to say it in as few words as possible. And it was so funny because when I decided to go into the online space where everybody is a lot more wordy, I struggled with that. I almost sounded robotic because I'm very scientific in the way that I think and in the way that I write. And so I had to get into 
my feminine and really like relax into the writing process because I wanted just to be state the facts, state the facts. And it's funny because Dan has really helped me with that in terms of telling a story, whereas, yeah, I'd be more like reporting. So with your vocabulary, one of the things is understanding and having awareness around words you use a lot. So for example, you've heard me say, um, several times this episode, one of my pet peeves, like do not like that at all. I am a lot better than what I was. I used to say, um, a lot. Oh my gosh. And it just conveys a lack of knowledge, a lack of confidence. It just doesn't, mm, right. It's not giving professional. It's not giving expert. Another one is words like, and I use this too, so I'm calling myself out so I don't feel like I'm coming for you. I'm coming for all of us equally so that we can be called forward and so that we can be better. Literally, I love the word. I overuse it. I 100% overuse it. And also words that like exaggerate. So superlatives. This was something that my boss taught me. I honestly have been so blessed to have some of the best mentors ever. So basically a superlative is, and I'm going to look at the dictionary for this, an exaggerated or hyperbolical expression of praise. So for example, um, saying like, oh my gosh, he's the funniest person rather than just saying, oh, he's a funny person. So it's like adding, it's, it's exaggerating and it just doesn't hit right. It doesn't hit right. And so I was trained to remove that. And here's the thing, when we exaggerate our language, it actually, again, comes across as a lack of confidence. Like, why are you trying so hard with your language? Why are you trying so hard to convince me? You should be so grounded in what you're saying that just your words carry enough frequency and weight in and of themselves. I hope I'm getting that that point across, but it's really important for us to have a really strong vocabulary because number one, the stronger vocabulary we have, the better we are able to actually understand others. When we have a limited vocabulary, we cannot understand people with a bigger vocabulary. And so again, when it comes down to earning more money, by having a strong vocabulary means that you speak more powerfully And the way that we present ourselves, again, is going to impact how someone receives us and the perception that they have of us and our capabilities. So I would really encourage you to think about the words that you overuse. I say literally a lot. I'm going to try to cut that out (laughs) or at least cut back because I really like the word. And because I think sometimes we're talking about things and it's like, is it figuratively or literally? Right? So I think in some contexts it makes sense, but I definitely overuse it. Okay, number six, communicate powerfully. So again, this is a continuation of having that strong vocabulary. So being clear, concise, and direct, okay? And avoid using filler words and, like I said, superlatives as it can come across as less confident. Like those filler words and when we're trying to make a point stronger by using specific words it often doesn't land. And especially if somebody is intelligent and has a good vocabulary, it's going to like be alarm bells 
for them that you're overusing specific words and you exaggerate a lot. And if you're exaggerating right away in terms of business, someone who exaggerates, to me, that's a red flag. Like if you exaggerate and I catch you exaggerating, it it makes me hesitant. So, and I would imagine if it makes me hesitant that it would make other people hesitant too, because we want to face reality. We want to look at the facts. We want to deal with someone who's living in reality, can, can dream and can have, but when we speak about reality, we need to be speaking of reality and we need to be confident enough with the message that we're giving and that the word, because the words are coming out of of my mouth, they're powerful enough. I don't need to exaggerate it to make it more exciting. Okay. Number seven is demonstrate self-awareness, highlight your strengths and acknowledge your weaknesses. Okay. This is going to go back a little bit to the point of vulnerability self-awareness, like just understanding how you're coming across. So someone with a high level of self-awareness, sometimes you'll leave a a social interaction and you'll be almost like hyper-analyzing the interactions of like what you could have done different. I'm not asking you to be like psychotic about it, but just having that awareness of like, oh, wow, how did I show up today? Like, how did I present? You know, did I invite others to speak? Did I ask good questions? Um, Did I hold space? Did I give great eye contact? Like all of these things are so important. They're so important. I was actually listening to a podcast and they were talking about the difference between wealthy people and people trying to come up. And a lot of these things are just natural for someone who is already wealthy because they have been in this type of family that where this is expected, you know, they do have a great education. They do have great uh, vocabulary. They do have great manners because they were raised with that. So if you didn't get raised in that environment and you would like to be in that environment, or you would like to earn more and you would like to expand yourself, then you need to increase your level of self-awareness and really be honest about your strengths and weaknesses and how you're showing up. Number eight, demonstrate emotional regulation and self-control by not being reactive to an emotionally charged situation. This is freaking huge. This is huge. Now, don't um, stress out if you're like, oh man, I met someone important and they did see me have an emotional thing or they saw me during like an emotionally tough time. You know, there's been times where, you know, in my life where I was the drama because I was not in a good place. And so that wasn't a good example. I really like the saying, I think it's something like, at some point in your life, you're going to be the villain in somebody's story. And that's totally okay. And like, be cool with that because nobody's perfect, right? So you're a villain in someone's stories and that's totally fine. But we're talking about baseline, like in most situations that you are going to demonstrate emotional regulation and self-control. And when you can do that and people can witness that, especially if it's a situation where they would have lost it, their respect for you is going to go up so much. And also that level of trust is going to go up. Nobody wants to work with immature people, period. Period. 
Nobody wants a crybaby business partner, client, whatever. Nobody, nobody wants that, right? So we want to witness someone demonstrating their ability to regulate themselves because business is an emotional game. Who was it? Uh, Hermosi, that's right. He was talking about success and he was saying that success is literally, it's a timeline in that everybody could eventually be successful except that they give up. So why is it that they give up? I personally think it has a lot to do with their just, they lack emotional resilience and the grit. They think that their talent or their connections or something are going to get them there. And when it doesn't, and when they have to struggle through business at some point, or their family's criticizing them, or they just can't take it. They just can't handle the heat. Because if you hear the stories of like multimillionaires or billionaires, they've all had stories where at one point they were broke, or at one point they lost everything, or at one point they were betrayed, or at one point they they face some serious adversity. So according to Hermoses, it's like, if you keep going, you'll eventually succeed, but most people don't keep going because they lack the emotional skills to keep going. So when you're thinking about a business partner, when you're thinking about business deals or people you just want to be, like right now, I am I'm like bulletproof boundaries around my relationships and who I'm willing to be in my inner circle and like demonstrating emotional control and regulation is like the number one qualifier above all else. It doesn't mean we don't have challenges. It doesn't mean we don't share our challenges. It doesn't mean we don't sob in each other's arms sometimes. But what it doesn't, what it does mean is that I'm not worried like, is this person going to react crazy and I'm going to be embarrassed? Is this person going to get us into some weird situation that I'm going to have to get us out of? I don't want to do that. Life is too short for all that. Okay, number nine, demonstrate accountability by acknowledging your role in an unpleasant interaction. Bro. Okay, so this is huge. I talk a lot about accountability and just recognizing our role, even in situations that you, you're like, how did there was literally, I did not have a role in this, like, no way. But what if you could? What if you could imagine the role that you played? This isn't putting blame on you. This is you becoming the strongest, most, I don't want to use the word lethal. That's not the word I want to use. Like just most powerful version of you. If you could be like, okay, so if I did have a role in that, what would it be? Do you know what that does to your confidence? You know what that does to your brain and your ability to problem solve and your ability to avoid future challenges that are similar to that because you've already problem solved it in your brain of how you could have been involved in this? Like the the mental gymnastics and the alchemy that happens there is so crazy when we decide to take radical responsibility for things that happen in our lives because all of a sudden you put yourself 100% in the driver's seat. You're not blaming anybody for anything that happens in your life. 
Number 10, build collaborative relationships with other people in the organization. If you work in a business or collaborate with other creators for a win-win outcome. Ain't nobody self-made. That whole is just yuck. When people like put that in their bio, like self-made, I'm like, no. If it's a marketing strategy, okay, cool. But if you actually think that, the delusion. And for us to really expand, we do have to collaborate with each other. I mean, I'm going to use my business as an example. So I coach and I consult. I have an academy where I teach on emotional intelligence, feminine and masculine dynamics, mostly. Those are the key parts that I focus on. But I want to serve my audience and my customers and my clients at the highest level. Would it not make sense to service them at the highest level by bringing in other teachers? And that's exactly what I do. I bring in guest speakers to fill in the gaps where I don't have the expertise because that's me over-servicing. So if you think about it from a business perspective, your clients are able to receive more through you collaborating rather than being the person that is scared to share your audience with other people because you're scared they're going to leave. Like, well, that's such a scarcity mentality. I live in a place of abundance where I believe that my audience is only going to love me more when I bring in these great teachers because I'm just continuing to add value to them. Number 11, ask for feedback from peers, managers, and customers. Take notes and action feedback where possible. Asking for feedback can be scary, whether it's, you know, you sell shampoo and you're messaging your your VIP client and you're saying like, how, how's it going? Like you want to hear something good, but what if you don't hear something good? Well, welcome to business. It's the same thing with your, with your coaching clients. Or if you're, if you're a speaker, you do a survey at the end, like, well, what, what's your critique of the speaker? You have to get feedback. Like, how are we going to evolve and get better unless we're asking for feedback? Now, from a business perspective and a performance and a mastery perspective, okay, great. You're going to get better from doing that. But from a social and emotional intelligence relationship aspect of it, when you ask for feedback from your peers, you're also saying, I value your opinion. Your opinion matters to me. And I am willing to change to become a better leader or manager or whatever because I value you and I value our relationship. We often overlook the relational aspects of making money, but it's all relational. It's all relational. Number 12, check in with your current customers and find out how else you can support them. How else can you add value? This is really important whether you have like a group. Sometimes I'll ask my group, like drop a question and then I will do either a podcast on it or I'll bring in a speaker if it's not my field. And it's just a way of saying like, hey, I care about you. I want to make sure that you're happy. Um, I want to make sure you're getting the results. And how do I know that unless 
I'm actually asking my customers. Number 13, show appreciation to your for your current income and or clients. Send thank you emails, texts, etc. Because what you appreciate appreciates. So sometimes we want to have like hundreds of clients or hundreds of VIPs or hundreds of thousands of customers. But what are you doing to appreciate the current customers that you have? When you see a payment come through, like, are you actually in a state of gratitude or are you already thinking about your next sale? We have to feel into the energy and the frequency of appreciation because the longer we sit in that, the more it becomes our current state and our natural natural way of being. And when it's our natural way of being, well, then more people and situations have to present themselves because we're already in the appreciation state. Now the physical world needs to match that. Number 14, put your hand up for more responsibility at work if you have a job. Ask your boss or manager what you can do to support them. Now, if you have a team, you could do it the opposite way too. You could be asking down your organization and seeing where you can support because we rise together. Number 14, put your hand up for more responsibility at work if you have a job and ask your boss or manager what you can do to support them. This is so huge. If you can be the person that is no drama, that doesn't bring problems, like this is one of the most frustrating things for for managers when people just bring problems like, oh, I don't like the system we use here or this system is really slow and they just bring problems. Your boss or manager has a million things to think about. The last thing they need is you complaining about stuff. Now, you can do that if you have an employee mindset, but if you have a mindset of someone that wants to progress in the company, if you want to be the person that they ask to step in when they go on holidays and now you get to be that higher role, don't bring them problems, bring them solutions. If you have a problem with the system, have a suggestion and don't don't bring it in a whiny energy. Like Hold a strong frequency of this was really working over here, that's really working. But you know what? I, where I saw a hiccup is over here. And what I would suggest, even if they don't take your suggestion, it's irrelevant. You've positioned yourself as a leader. You've positioned yourself as a problem solver. You've positioned yourself as someone who really wants to help. And you've also at the same time presented the problem. So even if they don't like your solution, they'll be like, okay, so this is something we may need to address. And then they can either start working on it or find someone else to start working on it. And now that problem has been tabled, but you're not coming from this like whining, complaining energy. It is one of my pet peeves as a manager when when people would, would do that. I'm like, okay, what what would you like me to do about that? Or what would you like to happen here? So that's really important. Okay, and 15, ask for the sale. Apply for the promotion, okay? If you don't ask, the answer is always no. So when it comes to using emotional intelligence to increase your income, are you actually asking for the thing that you want? Yes, get into the frequency of receiving, Yes, put it in your mind, 
meditate on it, visualize whatever feels good for you, pray on it, journal on it. But then you actually have to ask for the sale. You actually have to present to your your manager why you'd like a 10% and not a 4% raise. You actually have to ask. And if you have done the other points that we mentioned here, you'll be in a good position to get what you want. Because you've given value, you showed empathy, you showed leadership, you've come in early, you've, you've looked the part, you've built trust, you've done all the things, you've communicated powerfully, like there's, you have done everything with these steps here. You have done everything to put you in the perfect position to ask for more money, whether it's from a boss, whether it's from a customer, whether it's from putting it out to the world. You're calling in new customers, but you're in a position to do that. And although some of these tips seemed basic, it's those basic things that when we execute them perfectly is what's going to get us the results. It all comes back to the fundamentals. How are you showing up? How are you speaking? What is your frequency? What value are you adding? And are you asking for more? 